welcome to Let Us Go Into the House of the Lord. I'm Pastor Michael Lilienthal, and I'm prepared to share with you today my preparation for the service of the second Sunday after Christmas. Christmas is a a season, not just a day, a season that's exactly 12 days long, hence that uh, Christmas carol, the 12 days of Christmas. And so within that, you don't always get two Sundays in that season. Uh, But this year, we do. Uh, And this one is going to fall on January 5th, uh, which is the the 12th day of Christmas, in fact. Uh, The last day of Christmas is also the second Sunday after Christmas. And with that uh, in mind, it, it gives us another opportunity to focus on those words in the creed that Jesus, uh, the Son of God, was born of the Virgin Mary, as we confess in the creed. That's that's what the Christmas season is all about, looking at the union of God and man in this person of Jesus Christ. The second person of the Trinity is, is God in the flesh, the only person of the Godhead that took on human flesh. Uh, so we get to explore that a, l- a little bit more uh, today. There, there's an opportunity to explore that a little bit more uh, on Trinity Sunday as well, once we get uh, to the end of the festival half of the church year. But anytime we get the opportunity to look at that union, uh, it's it's just a wonderful blessing. In seminary, we, we focused on this doctrine of uh, the two natures in Christ. Uh, it took a whole semester and more <laughs> to focus on this. Uh, and primarily, we looked at um, a book by Martin Chemnitz called The Two Natures in Christ. Uh, and he, he essentially goes through how we can say that Christ has two natures without being two distinct people. Uh, how he can be God and man without being God and also man, separate people. See, okay. Uh, and, and how we can do that. And of course, it, it ultimately amounts to this, that we can't comprehend uh, God. We can't comprehend how he works. Uh, there, there's an unfortunate uh, Latin phrase that came out after the Reformation um, that goes finitum non est capax infiniti. It means the finite is not capable of the infinite. And that um, confession uh, is, a, is a, a, a false teaching uh, that believes that the human nature of Christ, because it's finite, is not capable of containing the infinite nature uh, of God. Uh, and so to, to speak of that union of, of Christ as God and man, um, it tries to, to rationalize it and, and, and think of it in, in reasonable terms, how we can believe that. But instead, we just simply confess what the scriptures present, that Jesus is God and he's also man. Uh, and he's entirely God and he's entirely man. Uh, so with, with uh, all that in mind, I want to I dive in uh, as my, my norm here to look at uh, the, the readings um, for for this Sunday and to see how it discusses this union of, of Christ and how he reveals himself, how God comes uh, to his human creation. We are continuing with the Old Testament lectionary, so I'll read the Old Testament lesson at the end of the, the lessons here. Instead, I'm going to start with the epistle lesson, which is 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19. Dear friends, do not be surprised by the fiery trial that is happening among you to test you as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, rejoice whenever you are sharing in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted in connection with the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer, a thief, a criminal, or as a meddler. But if you suffer for being a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God in connection with this name. For the time has come for judgment to begin with the household of God. Now, if it begins with us, what will be the end for those who disobey the gospel of God? And if it is 
Hard for the righteous to be saved, where will the ungodly sinner end up? So let those who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to their faithful Creator while doing what is good. Oh, there's a lot happening uh, in this text. Peter, Peter is, is a master of packing a lot into a text. And, and the first epistle of Peter is full of comfort for suffering Christians. Uh, this is just case in point, this section uh, of that letter towards the end here. Uh, let us suffer. We're, we're going to suffer. As Christians, we are going to suffer because we wear Christ's name. And so we have to look at what happened to Christ. He suffered. So we also will suffer. Jesus said that same thing, that we take up our cross and follow him. And if they persecuted him, they'll also persecute us. And in the Beatitudes, he said, uh, blessed are you when they persecute you. Uh, and they are going to persecute. The world is going to persecute us. We are going to suffer. But what's interesting here is we see that this suffering comes about uh, as part of the will of God. It's according to the will of God that we suffer. And we have to see in this that Christ suffered according to the will of God. This is, is getting at that union once again, how God suffered. The, the glory of Christ is going to be revealed. He was, he is God in the flesh. And so God suffered and he suffered for us to take our sins, to take our guilt, to take our punishment onto himself. So now when we suffer, it's conforming us to Christ. We already share the flesh. We're, we're genetically related to God. That's, that's one of the miracles uh, of, of what's elucidated by Christmas here, that we are genetically related to God. He is quite literally our brother. Not that we share the same mother, but going back far enough, we do, to Noah's wife. <laughs> uh, and then all the way back to, um, to Eve. So yes, we, we, we do share um, genetics with, with God. But now we're going to also share in that deity, that glory is going to be shared with us as well. The spirit of glory and of God rests on us. We're, we're blessed because we share that same glory. That, that union of Christ being man and God is, is bestowed upon us now as well. It's interesting too, this, um, the occasion for this Sunday is going to fall um, every time. Anytime there's a second Sunday of Christmas, it's going to fall between uh, two smaller festivals in the church year. Uh, the one that will come after this, and in fact, it'll be on the 5th of January, and we'll talk about that, is Epiphany. The day after the 12 days of Christmas is the Epiphany. Uh, the, the gospel lesson for that day is when the wise men or the magi went to see Jesus. And the point of that day is to see that he is revealed uh, to the Gentile world. He's revealed to the nations. Um, January 6th is still Christmas for the Eastern Orthodox Church, uh, which kind of seems to be a carryover from that that idea that uh, we get to have Christmas as Gentiles when Christ is revealed to us. Uh, he, was, he was there for the Jews on the 25th. The shepherds, the Jewish people, uh, got to see him on the 25th when he was born. But the Gentiles got to see him at Epiphany when the Magi came. Of course, that was um, quite probably uh, years after he was born, a couple of years after he was born, one to two years. Um, and, but but uh, nevertheless, the, the celebration falls on that day. Um, so that, that revelation of his glory, when his glory is revealed, that, that seems to be keyed in here too. But this festival is also always going to come after, or this Sunday, the Christmas 2, is always going to come after another smaller festival that falls on January 1st. Not New Year's Day, uh, but that January 1st is the 8th day of Christmas. Uh, and if you are familiar with your Old Testament history, something would happen to the Jewish boys 
on the eighth day after they were born, and that's when they would be circumcised. And so there on the eighth day of Christmas, the eighth day after Jesus is born, we celebrate the circumcision and name of Jesus, because when the Jewish boys were circumcised, they would also receive their name. There are a number of beautiful things that we can comprehend in that festival, uh, which is not terribly common for churches to, to observe nowadays. Uh, but there's great blessings to be had there. Number one, uh, you see that Jesus shed his first drops of blood under the law for us there. The, the infant's body shed God's blood for us on that day. And also in that, he put himself under the law for us. The law of circumcision, he obeyed it. He, he put himself under the knife and under the law at the same time. And then also he received his name, and that's the name in which we are saved. And so there's a lot that goes on talking about the name uh, of Jesus in this text as well, uh, that, that we are united to that same name as well. Uh, but praise God in connection with this name as well. Um, the name uh, of, of Christ or, or the name of, uh, of Christian. Now, that's, that's a translation option here uh, for the, that the EHV uses, but I, I, I think it's deliberate. Uh, I think it is a, a perfectly appropriate, especially seeing that it falls between these two festivals. Oh, so yes, there's a lot of richness there in that epistle lesson that <laughs> comes to light. So I'm going to move on then to the gospel text, and this is, this is where the, the, the proclamation of the day centers uh, on this gospel text. And for Christmas 2, it's Matthew 2, uh, verses 13 through 23. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to Joseph in a dream. He said, get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, because Herod will search for the child in order to kill him. Joseph got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt. He stayed there until the death of Herod. This happened to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, out of Egypt, I have called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the wise men, he was furious. He issued orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and in all the surrounding countryside from two years old and under. This was in keeping with the exact time he had learned from the wise men. Then what was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. The angel said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who are trying to kill the child are dead. Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus, Herod's son, had succeeded his father as ruler in Judea, he was afraid to go there. Since he had been warned in a dream, he went to the region of Galilee. When he arrived there, he settled in a city called Nazareth. So what was spoken through the prophets was fulfilled. He will be called a Nazarene. All right, so this, as, as I mentioned, this Sunday is going to come before Epiphany, but this gospel text comes after the Epiphany gospel, uh, right after, in fact. Uh, the Epiphany gospel is Matthew 2, 1 through 12, and it uh, comprises uh, the visit of the wise men or the magi. Now we have what comes after that visit. Of course, Herod was plotting this whole time uh, as soon as he heard of the king born that he was going to kill that king who was born. And so here we see how Jesus was rescued. Interestingly here, that Jesus was rescued, but he was rescued uh, through this fiery trial and persecution. We're, we we see how Jesus goes through what Peter is describing in his epistle. Um, and it's, it's centered around Joseph, Jesus' adoptive father. Uh, Joseph being the one who cares for Jesus and, and gets him out uh, of Bethlehem, gets him to Egypt where he can be safe, uh, and then draws him out of Egypt to bring him back 
uh, to where he will be home. But in the meantime, we see right in the middle there the text for um, the Holy Innocence, which is uh, itself actually celebrated um, on the uh, fourth day of Christmas. The 28th, December 28th, is the Holy Innocence, when those children in Bethlehem were murdered by Herod. Uh, the the slaughter of the innocents is another way that that's that's described, and of course that that's such a horrible, terrifying to understand uh, event. But it's it's deliberately drawn out, and Matthew constructs his gospel this way, and and really just records the historical events in the order they occurred, with some deliberateness, because those children were killed by a king who was fearful of his power being overthrown reminiscent of Pharaoh in Egypt when the people of Israel became numerous and they were the slaves and he was afraid they were going to rise up and overthrow him he ordered the, the male children of Israel all to be killed it's a it's a direct reflection and then of course we have Jesus going into Egypt and then coming out back to the promised land just as Israel also came out of Egypt out of that exile into again the promised land Jesus is stepping into the role of Israel and of Moses. He is the new Moses, the greater than Moses, the prophet who is like Moses, but greater. It's it's directly drawn here. Matthew is not listing these things by accident, that this is how this, these things occurred. Um, but in all of that, of course, we uh, do definitely see how Jesus is suffering already, already for us. He's suffering here as a child, as an infant. Uh, as, I, as I mentioned, eight days after he shed his first drops of blood, well, now he's suffering persecution. Uh, and as he was persecuted, so we also will be persecuted. But we have this deliverance that comes. Uh, the, the holy innocents that come in here, they're considered the first martyrs uh, of the Christian church. Uh, they're the first ones who die for Christ. <laughs> it's quite quite literal. Uh, it, which, this, this weeping uh, of Rachel, you know, uh, wife of, of Jacob or of Israel, we, the children of Israel, she's weeping for them uh, because they are, they're dying. They're, they're no more. They, she won't be comforted because of this great atrocity of the slaughter of these innocents. And as the Christian church, we also can weep for those who are, are killed. The, the literal children of Israel, and I don't mean genetically, the, the children of Israel who are God's people, uh, the, who are killed for Christ. We weep for them. But we also have this this joy that no, they're not no more. Not not in the sense that they don't exist anymore, but they exist in Christ. Uh, this this weeping that we have is not actually without hope, and we see that hope for ourselves as we are united to Christ, who is both God and man, one who suffered in the flesh, but overcame all of that to share it with us. He's going to give that to us. All right, so that's that's the gospel. It's, it's a beautiful gospel. Uh, I want to go on then now to the Old Testament lesson, uh, which will be the sermon text for today with this Old Testament lectionary, and that's from Genesis 18, 20 through 33. So the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very flagrant, I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has come to me. If not, I will know. The two men turned from there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Abraham approached him and said, Will you really sweep away the righteous along with the wicked? What if there are fifty righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep them away and not spare the place for the sake of fifty righteous who are in it? You would never do such a thing, killing the righteous alongside the wicked. 
Treating the righteous the same as the wicked? You would never do such a thing. The judge of all the earth should do right, shouldn't he? The Lord said, If I find fifty righteous people within the city of Sodom, then I will spare the entire place for their sake. Abraham answered, See now I who am but dust and ashes have taken it on myself to speak to my Lord. What if there are five fewer than fifty righteous? Will you destroy the entire city if the number is five short? He said, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. He spoke to him yet again and said, What if only forty are found there? He said, I will not do it for the sake of forty. He said, Please do not be angry, my lord, but I will speak again. What if thirty are found there? He said, I will not do it if I find thirty there. He said, See, now I have taken it upon myself to speak to my lord. What if there are twenty found there? He said, I will not destroy it for the sake of twenty. He said, Please do not be angry, my lord, but I will speak just once more. What if ten are found there? He said, I will not destroy it for the sake of the ten. As soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham, the Lord went on his way, and Abraham returned to his place. This is a, a familiar Old Testament account, the city of Sodom and, and of Gomorrah. Uh, both were to be destroyed because of their flagrant sin, their their uh, offensive sin in God's eyes, the, the sin of that homosexuality uh, that uh, was running rampant and unchecked. Um, God had to destroy those cities, and and he did so. Uh, with this, this pleading of Abraham, it's a little bit funny to look at in hindsight uh, when you know how the story ends. Um, it seems like God is, is kind of keeping something up his sleeve. He knows there aren't even ten righteous in the cities of, of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, and so he is going to destroy the city, but he's going to do one better. He's going to save Lot and his family, uh, the ones that Abraham is, is really concerned about. So in this, we see a, a number of things. God knows what Abraham is concerned about. Uh, and that's that's the reason he he warns Abraham about this destruction in the first place. He he knows that Abraham has a vested interest in here. His family live there, uh, just like the the angel of the Lord uh, came to Joseph in the in the dream uh, to warn him of the coming destruction. God knows those who have a vested interest uh, in the the destruction that's coming, so He does prepare for that suffering that's going to come. He does let us know that it's going to happen. That's what He does in the epistle through Peter warns us about the, the suffering that's going to be coming upon us and is already uh, upon us. And so he, he tells us how we may escape it. In here, it's it's giving Abraham the chance to to show his his faith to God uh, and, and to, to show uh, that he understands God's mercy and to plead for God's mercy. God has already established his covenant with Abraham. Uh, and, and Abraham is relying on that covenant and relying on God's mercy, you know, as often as he speaks this humbly, which is appropriate, that he acknowledges himself to be but dust in God's eyes. He speaks these petitions humbly, uh, but he knows that he can speak these peti petitions to God because God has entered a covenant with him. God has promised his grace and mercy, so he knows that Abraham, uh, Abraham knows that, that God will hear him and, and answer his calls for mercy. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a beautiful dialogue between a Christian and Abraham certainly was a Christian, being one that was prepared to find the Christ, a Christian and God. Uh, it, it's a dialogue of faith. If Abraham didn't have faith in, in God's mercy, he would never have said these things. He would never have, have ventured to say, well, would you would you withhold that punishment for 50 people, for even 10 people all the way he counts down? Uh, and uh, we're, we're the same way. We wouldn't pray to God. We wouldn't speak to God if we didn't 
trust in his mercy, if we didn't think there was, you know, I mean, a chance that, that he would answer us and give us grace, but we know he's going to give us his grace. We know he's going to give us his protection because he has already sent his son into the flesh to live for us and to die for us and to rise for us. He went through all that trouble and establishing that covenant, that New Testament with us, that promise. He's not going to ignore us when we ask him for his mercy. He's promised it to us. He has already given it to us. Now, it might not look the way we want it directly to look, like Abraham was thinking, just don't destroy the city. In fact, he does better. He, he does more for us. He destroys that wicked, we see here, and, and rescues the righteous. In the same way that uh, he rescued Jesus, God rescued Jesus through, through Joseph in the gospel lesson, and ultimately destroyed Herod. So that when Herod was gone, Joseph and Jesus and Mary could return uh, safe to the promised land, to, to Israel once again. Now, and also within that, when, when those, that righteous family was saved, the innocents, the, those children were killed. Now, those aren't the wicked. They aren't uh, a direct parallel here, but we can see uh, a, a similarity in, in this, how, how God ultimately did answer uh, this prayer for Abraham. Uh, which uh, we're, we're never going to get that exact story of the destruction of Sodom. And that's, that's okay. It's, it's implied here and it, it should be elucidated here how God did ultimately answer this prayer of Abraham's. But we see that parallel uh, of how God ultimately did answer this to how Jesus was saved, leaving behind uh, a great destruction. And, and that just shows once again that in the midst of all of this suffering, God isn't absent. In the midst of this destruction and death and violence, God isn't not looking. God isn't gone. God hasn't forsaken us. Uh, which for, for Sodom and Gomorrah, he was present for judgment. For those holy innocents, God was present uh, for mercy. Uh, that that uh, lack of comfort that they had, they didn't have the comfort until they saw why. those The, the, the mothers of those children didn't have comfort until they could see why those children were ultimately killed. Perhaps some of them knew, perhaps some of them knew why Herod had, had done this horrible thing. Um, but when Jesus' work was accomplished, when the Messiah was there, when that news was spread, certainly they should have seen at that point that those children died and Jesus was saved so that Jesus could save all of them. That's, that's where this comfort comes in. God was present in that destruction, in both destructions. And God is, when he comes in the flesh, he's going to be present to give either that destruction or that blessing. Now that should tie uh, your thoughts directly to John 3 when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. Not verse 16, but the one after that, uh, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world should be saved through him. Okay, there we have it. Jesus came into the flesh to save us. He's there for a gracious presence. He's there for a saving presence. It's, it's meant for a comfort here. God visits his people. God is present, able to be heard, able to be spoken with for our salvation. Why would he go through the trouble otherwise? He comes to speak to us in order to save us. He comes to make himself visible, make himself known in order to save us. And he does that. He did that in Christ. He does that now through the means of grace. And he will do that again on the last day when Christ comes again. He's going to come to save us. We, we've, we've tied together the Advents, the three Advents, once again, here on this, this Sunday. All right, I want to look at the introit for 
this Sunday. I'm 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 hoping to to start employing the intro at a little bit more in the services. Um, even though this this particular Sunday we're we're going to be following um, Rite One, Divine Service Rite One, which um, uh, starts with the opening prayer, and then number two is the entrance hymn or the intro. It. Uh, what I'm going to plan to do here is have the intro it followed by the entrance hymn. The intro it shouldn't take too long. Uh, and now that uh, my congregation is a little more familiar with the singing of the Psalms, the intro it should be a little more, a little easier to follow, a little more familiar. So um, I'm planning to to use the intro it there with an antiphon. Um, if you remember way back to when I um, talked with um, Pastor Jeff Hendricks about the third Sunday of Advent, uh, Gaudete Sunday, uh, he he talked about um, the uh, antiphons that were composed by uh, Pastor Dan Hartwig. And I'm going to use uh, the same sorts of things. Now, um, Pastor Hartwig's uh, resource, at least as far as I, I've found, I haven't spoken with him directly uh, yet, but the resource that I've got from him, the published one, uh, doesn't have one for, for the second Sunday of Christmas, so I'm going to have to... Um, make my own that's that's based on it but he's got he's got the tones already there so i just need to put the words in there um it's just a verse versified form uh of the antiphon but the the christmas 2 antiphon is when israel was a child i loved him and out of egypt i called my son which comes right out of uh that that uh that same gospel text out of egypt i called my son which is a, a quotation from the old testament from hosea uh 11 verse 1 that uh, is where that comes from uh, then that, so that's the antiphon. Then the the intro it itself goes on. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed. Uh, and then the Gloria Patri. So that that comes from Psalm two, uh, Psalm two verses one and two, I believe. That uh, the the nations are raging and plotting. That's <laughs> Herod is the, that king who's plotting. Uh, who's setting himself against the Lord and against his anointed? That's it's very clearly drawn at that uh, in that way, uh, but we see that too in the the Old Testament how these nations are set against the Lord and His anointed. That's Sodom and Gomorrah. Those cities are set against God. They're they're rejecting God's design and God's law, uh, and choosing their own preferences and wishing for their own rule instead. Uh, and that ties also also to the uh, epistle lesson that if they if the nations and the kings are set against God, we can expect them to be set against those who wear the name of God and his anointed, the Christ, Christians. So they're going to be set against us too. Why? Why are they against us? It's it's a a, a plead uh, to God. Why are they set against us? They're, they're, they're plotting against us. They're going to persecute us. But we have that also, that promise there. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. That looks back to the rescue from Egypt in the uh, book of Exodus, but also ahead at Hosea's time to Christ when he was saved. And so we look back to Christ coming out of Egypt and we see there's our hope. There's the source of our faith and our trust and our confidence that the nations may plot, but they didn't get Christ. He laid down his own life in his adulthood in order to pay for our sins. So the nations aren't going to get us either. Even if they put us to death, our salvation is secure. It really does set the tone for the day with that psalm. All right, so um, I do want to look also at what the psalm for the day is before I move on to uh, the next things. And I have a, a guess here. Okay, I was going to guess it was going to be Psalm 2, but no, it's Psalm 106. I want to see first if it's in here in the hymnary. If Psalm 106 is, I doubt it. Nope, I don't see Psalm 106 here. What does Psalm 106 say? 
Praise the Lord, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Who can tell about the mighty deeds of the Lord, who can cause all his praise to be heard? Blessed are those who defend justice, who do what is right all the time. Remember me, O Lord, when you show favor to your people. Visit me with your salvation, so that I may experience the good that belongs to your chosen ones, so that I may rejoice in the joy of your nation, so that I may join in praise with the people that belongs to you. Okay, uh, it goes on with uh, describing the, the rebellions of Egypt. Um, that uh, and, and a confession of our own sin uh, connection, connected with the, the people of Israel who rebelled in Egypt and then in the wilderness on the way to the promised land uh, and the rebellion in the land and the, the judgment that God has to execute against those who sin, uh, but also then looking ultimately at God's grace. Um, it's a, a little bit disappointing to me that this isn't in the hymnary. It's so great. It would be, it would be wonderful to, to sing that. But um, I do want to sing one that is found in the hymnary. And I know that not all, all psalms would fit in there. That's, that's a long one, too, so I understand why it's not included. Uh, what I might do, though, at this point, because the intro, it does come from Psalm 2, I think I will go with Psalm 2 for our, our psalm of the day, um, which goes according to, to tone 4 and starts the same way the, uh, the intro it does. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? And it goes on and describes how the bonds of the, the nations are broken. God laughs in heaven. God uh, has anointed his son. God has set his son on, uh, on high to, um, to break those kings. Uh, so we serve the Lord. Uh, we know that God has the ultimate victory here. It, it fits so well. Psalm 106 does really well, too, and it's a less familiar one, I think. But um, Psalm 2 is, is excellent here. All right. Um, then I want to look now at uh, the chief hymn for the day, the appointed chief hymn uh, that, uh, that comes for Christmas 2. That chief hymn is hymn 163, which is a wonderful powerful hymn of joy uh and i think um the contrast should be marked as it comes right after that gospel lesson um it's oh rejoice ye christians loudly oh rejoice ye christians loudly for our joy hath now begun wondrous things our god hath done Tell abroad his goodness proudly, who our race hath honored thus, that he deigns to dwell with us. Joy, O oh joy, beyond all gladness, Christ hath done away with sadness. Hence all sorrow and repining, for the sun of grace is shining. Whew. Ending with that uh, that high D there is whoa, wonderful. Uh, okay, so this um, this hymn is uh, a, a powerful testament of our faith in Christ uh, that He's done away with that sadness, which in that gospel lesson, uh, perhaps the most vivid portion is the death of those innocents, those those babies that Herod killed. So Christ has done away with that sadness. Uh, I I don't think it's an accident that Matthew records those words from I believe it's Jeremiah that uh, Rachel will not be comforted. Well, Christ does away with sadness. Christ does away with it. They, would, they wouldn't be comforted it, according to their human nature. The comfort can't be had, but Christ does away with that sadness. When it's held in the light of Christ and who he is and what he would done, that sadness is, is taken away. And we, it goes on and talks about the confidence we have in Christ, uh, that he, that God, again, unites himself with our flesh in order to suffer, and he therefore unites himself with our suffering, and so he defends us. 
uh, in our suffering as well, so that when we suffer, we, we are part of Christ's body, the body that was pierced. Uh, and, and so we are, we're joined to him for that eternal life. Okay, so we're eternally saved. That, that is such a perfect chief hymn uh, for this first Sunday um, uh, of, of the new year, this uh, January. As we uh, look forward to the, the rest of the year, we can rejoice with this great abounding joy uh, based on this Christmas. Um, and I want to look at uh, some of the familiar hymns from the congregation here that are, are remarked for this section of the hymnary for Christmas too, to see if there are any others uh, that can be fit in here. And we have a, a few in here that are available, but I don't see many that are remarked as uh, being familiar ones. Perhaps uh, number 161 is... Oh, Jesus Christ, thy manger is my paradise at which my soul reclineth. For there, O oh Lord, doth lie the word made flesh for us here in thy grace forth shining, shineth. Okay, um, beautiful. <laughs> uh, that in the manger is the word God made flesh, um, and, and it it's it's a Gerhard hymn. Gerhard is excellent. Um, God has prepared us for earthly sadness. Comes out in here too. Uh, be let sorrow not move us. Okay, this this union once again of joy and sorrow comes out very clearly in here. Uh, so yeah, we'll 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 sing that. Uh, I see someone is 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 familiar with that. So one sixty three is going to be the chief hymn. This one has six verses. Uh, and I have still for um, the uh, the service an opening hymn, uh, distribution hymn or hymns, hymn of thanks, and closing hymn. Um, I think I might separate this one and have verses 1 through 4 be the opening, the entrance hymn following the, uh, the introit, uh, and verses 5 and 6. It'll be the hymn of thanks following communion. Uh, just two verses there. Should be fairly short and simple, but uh, then we, we start verse 5 with, Remember thou what glory now the Lord prepared thee for all earthly sadness. The angel host can never boast of greater glory, greater bliss, or gladness. So we <laughs> remember what God has given to you as we give this this thanks. All right, um, so that's there. Then I need um, closing hymn and communion hymn. I know hymn 313 is a favorite of the congregation. I want to see how that fits here. I, th I think it's perfect here because it, it's all about this, this weariness uh, that, we, that we have, this, this pain and sadness. Um, even though this, uh, this service uh, for in, in our hymnary, the right one suggests 327 or 316 slash 317, um, I, I don't think you can do better for this particular Sunday than, um, hymn 313. So that's what we're going to do for distribution is 313. And then for the closing hymn, uh, again, since we don't have, um, a lot of familiar ones from the, the Christmas two section here, um, I'm going to look at the, uh, the benediction section, the, the, the closing hymns, um, section of the, the hymnary. Uh, some of the familiar ones there. Um, one of them that is maybe standing out to me here is um, hymn 587, Jesus Still Lead On. 
Jesus, still lead on, till our rest be won. And although the way be cheerless, we will follow calm and fearless. Guide us by your hand to our promised land. Yeah, as I'm singing this, I'm sold. Uh, that's the that's going to be the closing hymn because the, the way is might be cheerless. Suffering as we go, but God is leading. And where's he leading? Promised land. Jesus came out of the Egypt back to the promised land as a reflection of that um, uh, the nation of Israel coming out of Egypt to the promised land. We are led that same way. Uh, and we see that in, in this suffering, once again, God's hand is at work. This is all according to God's will. We trust in that will, the, the God who became flesh for us. So we know, once again, that whatever God's will is, is going to be for our good. He's not going to waste his trip to earth, so to speak, uh, that uh, clothing himself with that flesh to, in order to suffer and die. And I can't emphasize that enough, that the reason Jesus took on flesh was so he would die in that flesh and then infuse that flesh with the life of God once again. He, he did that. He accomplished it. So he's going to bring that to fruition. All right, so how this service uh, once more is going to go, now that I've got this all planned out, we're going to open with prayer. We're going to have the uh, the intro it uh, that uh, comes there from Hosea and from Psalm 2. Uh, then we're going to sing hymn 161, verses 1 through 4, have the confession of sin, Kyrie, absolution, Gloria, because we're in the Christmas season again, so we get that Gloria back, salutation, collect. I didn't read the collect. I, I, I should do that. I'm going to do that right now um, while I'm thinking of it. Um, just in case anything else stands out, but I, I I don't really think anything will necessarily. Um, now there there there's one collect that uh, is is appropriate for both the first Sunday after Christmas and the second Sunday after Christmas. Um, I'll, I'll read that one, even though um, I think I'm going to actually do the, the the one that's appropriate only for the second Sunday after Christmas. So here, um, collect number 12. Almighty and everlasting God, direct our actions according to your gracious will, that in the name of your beloved Son we may be made to abound in good works through the same Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one true God, now and forever. Amen. It does get to what our lives should look like because Jesus has come in the flesh. But uh, the, the more appropriate one, I think, for this especially is collect number 14. O Lord God, Heavenly Father, you allowed your dear Son, Jesus Christ, to become a stranger and a sojourner in Egypt for our sakes and led him safely home to his fatherland. Mercifully grant that we poor sinners who are strangers and sojourners in this perilous world may soon be called home to our true fatherland, the kingdom of heaven, where we shall live in eternal joy and glory through the same, your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one true God, now and forever. Amen. And yes, once again, that promised land, that destination where we're headed uh, is coming through with that collect. So uh, yes, after the collect, then we have um, the epistle lesson from 1 Peter, Psalm 2, then the gospel lesson from Matthew uh, with that God be praised uh, song afterwards. Then we confess the Nicene Creed. We sing the chief hymn, number 163, have a sermon on that Genesis passage with uh, Abraham speaking with God about Sodom and Gomorrah, or especially speaking about Lot. Uh, prayer of the church, we'll pray with the apostolic benediction to close that. Then we have the offering, and we go into the service of Holy Communion with the, the preface and the proper preface for the Christmas season, followed by the Sanctus, Exhortation, Lord's Prayer, Words of Institution, Agnus Dei, then the distribution with hymn 313, 
Dismissal, followed by the Hymn of Thanksgiving, uh, which again is 161, this time verses 5 and 6. Collect of Thanksgiving, Benediction, Closing Hymn, Hymn 587, and Closing Prayer. We've got it. Uh, this this is going to be a beautiful service. I hope very comforting for, for people who are living in this suffering world, but knowing that they are united to that suffering flesh of Christ that is now glorified, no longer in suffering, and we will have that same glory uh, that he has won for us because he was born of the Virgin Mary. So you can find uh, this show and, and uh, communicate about it on the tapestryradio.org slash Lord's House. Uh, talk to me on Twitter at M-G-L-I-L-I-E-N-T-H-A-L. Uh, find my church's website, Our Saviors, uh, in Albert Lee at uh, OurSaviorsELS.com. And uh, I hope you are able to join us if you're in the area. Otherwise, uh, find a, a church near you to enjoy uh, this, this beautiful Sunday that's coming up. Uh, and so until next time, peace be within you. Obscurantism and obfuscation. Orally observed, gentle listener. Gentle listener. Gentle listener. Gentle listener. Obviated objects of oblivion. Obambulating about. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. In the Tapestry Radio Network. Tapestryradio.org. From From our our fancy fancy to to yours. yours.